Today, we begin a study in 2 Corinthians. But before we shift gears, I just want you to know that I thank God for our Crosspoint community. I love your creativity and generosity and patience with all of our staff. We are committed to our mission during this pandemic, but also want you to know that we're talking about what re-entry will look like and the adjustments we will need to make in order to establish our new norms. But until then, I just want you to know you rock. Okay, enough of the mushy stuff. Let's begin our study by focusing on Corinth, its culture, its people, and the church. Interpreting the Bible really takes two steps. The official word for this is called hermeneutics. You can use that word now. But a good biblical hermeneutic takes two steps. Step number one is that you understand what it means to the original hearers. Once you understand that, then you can go into step two, which is applying it to your life today. So, we're going to be focusing on step one for our first lesson. It will help us understand all the rest of the letter, and it will make sense to us. We don't need to understand all the historical data, but some will help us understand the truths that Paul is trying to get across, at least to this church in Corinth. So, let's pray before we jump into the Second Corinthians pool. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, our Dad, Abba, you are both King of kings and my Father. You are creator of the universe and my Dad. You are the righteous judge and my Abba. You are sovereign, knowing all and sustaining all. Let the earth rejoice knowing the righteous judge rules. May our world praise and exalt your great and awesome name, your holy name. May we bow low before you, fearing and honoring you. May we publish your glorious deeds among the nations and tell everyone the amazing things you do. May we tell the nations that you reign. We give thanks for so many things, Father. We are so grateful that you walk with us. We are so grateful for the breath that you graciously given us. We thank you, Father, for your blessings. We thank you for Crosspoint Church. And we thank you for the Universal Church. Lord, we know we are still rebellious and foolishly go down our own paths. We repent of our sins, our selfish behavior that hurts you and others so very deeply. 
We have listened too often to the enemy's lies rather than your loving voice. We ask for your forgiveness and thank you for your grace and your mercy. We continue to cry out to you, O Lord, for healing. Healing for your church, healing for this nation, and healing for our world. Our help comes from you, Lord. You made the heavens and earth. You don't get distracted, nor do you slumber. You give us strength and wisdom for the journey, for we are your people, the flock under your care. Father, we ask you to teach us today to open our eyes. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be so active to teach and to convict. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. If you would, uh, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Uh, you can pull out your flat screens, or if you just want to follow on the screen before you. But here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And from our brother Timothy, I am writing to God's church in Corinth and to all his holy people throughout Greece. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. You see, every word of the scripture is God-breathed. It's totally inspired. Even this greeting. Even though many times we open up a book and we kind of well, rush through these words. This letter was written by Paul and by Timothy. Let's focus on Paul first. So many of you know the story of Paul's transformation, but I thought it was really important that we would read from Acts chapter 9, where Dr. Luke gives us the account. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, and again, just a reminder, Saul um, turns into Paul. His name is changed in just a little bit just so you're not confused. Meanwhile, Saul, or Paul, was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So we went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. 
So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Let me remind you that that Saul really did love God. He was rising in the religious ranks, the Hebrew and the Jewish religious ranks. And folks were noticing. He was zealous in word and deed. And he was bent on destroying this sect, this new group of people who were following Jesus. Well, the Messiah. But everything changed. Everything changed supernaturally when Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul was going there to destroy Christians. Jesus talked directly to him. He became blind and was led into Damascus. Meanwhile, there was a believer, Ananias, that lived in Damascus. God appeared to him and told Ananias that he was to go and greet Paul. Well, Ananias wasn't that excited about this. He knew why Paul was coming, and he wondered if God might be making a mistake. Uh, God, don't, don't you really know that, that Paul's coming here to kill us Christians? Why would I go and talk to him? Well, God reveals a little bit more to Ananias in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 15. And this is God talking to Ananias. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Those words had to shake up Ananias. But he listened to God. And he met Paul, or Saul. At this time, Paul did a complete 180. He was a new creation once he put his faith in Jesus. He had known about God, but he needed a realignment. He was called God's chosen instrument. And he was going to preach, which I bet he enjoyed. But he also was going to suffer, which he probably didn't. Paul was saved in about 32 AD. And once he came to faith... The scriptures tell us that he probably spent the next 15 years pretty much in isolation. He was learning about who God was. And God was teaching him. And he was growing in his relationship with his Lord. After about 15 years, uh, he began planting churches. We find out in Acts 13 that the church recognized Paul's gifts and decided to send them out into all the world to preach the gospel and to plant churches. If you follow Paul's timeline, 
he went on three missionary journeys. Three specific journeys to encourage people to follow Jesus. The first one, as I said, is recorded in Acts 13. But I'd like to show you a clip. A clip that I actually showed you about a year ago when we focused a little bit on Paul when we were in our series called The Story. But so many of you commented on this clip. You had no idea all the places that Paul went and how far he traveled. So if you would, let's watch this clip. It's a short one once again. But this time, spend or, or pay close attention to every time he hits Corinth. Once Paul was commissioned, he listened to God. He took off. During his second missionary journey, he picked up Timothy and took him under his wing. This happened in about 50 AD. We find um, this recorded in Acts 16. So I'd like to read to you from Acts 16, starting at verse 1. This was all again on Paul's second missionary journey. Paul went first to Derby, and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Oh, Paul understood how important it was to surround himself with key people. He wanted not only to preach the gospel, but he wanted to also make disciples. He needed to model for other young men what it meant to pastor, to shepherd, to teach. He wanted to encourage others. He saw Timothy, and Timothy stuck out to him. And he asked Timothy, would you come and join us? We're, we're planting churches, we're preaching the gospel, we're doing what God asked, and, and I think you'd be a perfect candidate. Join us. And Timothy did. And this is where this rich relationship began. But near the end of Paul's life, Paul writes a letter to Timothy. It's called Second Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul reminds Timothy of some critical things. I'd like to read it for you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people 
who will be able to pass them on to others. This was so critical to the apostle. He wanted to make sure that this process would continue. He had done life with Timothy. Timothy had seen him do the ministry. And now he was reminding Timothy. Really, this was the last letter that Paul wrote. But reminding Timothy of what he had seen. He saw Paul. He lived with Paul. And now Paul is just telling Timothy, it's really important you keep doing the same thing. You find reliable people who will be able to, well, be taught by you about Jesus so that they can go out and teach others about Jesus. Now, what's so really beautiful is, is Paul was doing life with others. He was being intentional in his training. One of the blessings, not all of us have, but, but some have, is that God has blessed you with a family. And we get to, as parents, then do life with our kids. And to be able to help them understand what's important. To model for them what it means to grow in relationship with Jesus. And to encourage them to join you in ministry. Well, the church is larger than families. And we all have an opportunity to do the same thing in the church. Do life with people and be intentional with them so that they might be able to learn from you how you love Jesus so that they can love Jesus and pass that on. I personally, as I look over the years, is what kind of people, God, do you want me to work with? What kind of person do you want me to be? And I think Paul saw something in Timothy. I use the acronym FAT. I personally look for fat people. Faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful, first of all, to the Almighty God. That they spend time with God. They listen to God. They obey God. People who are faithful in their word, in their promises. People who faithfully do what they say they're going to do. Second characteristic I look for is available. Our culture is so busy. And even these last few months, uh, it's been really odd in order to connect with different folks. But realistically, God wants us to do life with each other. And you can't do that if you're not available, if you're too busy, if so many things are going on. Lastly, I think it's really important that you find someone who's teachable. Someone who's able to read God's word, listen to the Holy Spirit's convictions, and obey in every area. Over the years, not everyone's met that criteria. But for the most part, if I can find someone who is faithful, available, and teachable. I'll be able to pour into them and encourage them to know God and then help others know God. As I was preparing my message, I started to think of all the Pauls in my life. 
of all the folks that spent time pouring into me. I like to name some of them. There was Don and Brian and Don and Tom and Rich and Tilly and Dan and Bill and Tim and Bill and Tom and Bill and Tony and Dave and Roy and Dave and Greg and Wayne and Greg and Colin and Dave and Sam and Rich and Rick and Gary and Bill and Dave and Ron and Dave just to mention a few. But I also started thinking of the Timothys in my life. From a sophomore in high school all the way till now of folks that I had an opportunity to invest in intentionally, helping them understand who God is, understand the word, and helping them pass it on. Some of these guys are still doing this. Some are not. But here's some names over the years that I remember. There was Kevin and Greg and Mike and Bob and Robert and Dwight, and John, and Tim, and Gary, and Jeff, and Tony, and Jeff, and Rob, and Tim, and Kevin, and Eric, and Dave, Bill, Frank, Rusty, Frank, Randy, Dave, Phil, Tony, Sean, Jeff, Chad, Nate, Tom, Chris, Trent, Brad, Jason are a few of the names that, that I remember. It's really been interesting. One of these guys over the last few months have been in contact with me and sharing with me who he's been hanging out with and pouring into. This young man is a young family man. He's a teacher. And he's been in high school ministry for a long time. So some of the high school students that he's been working with or had been working with are now married and have kids. Some are gone away to college and some are just working and, and some are still in high school. But he's sending me pictures and texts saying, Rick, I met with these college students this week. And even over this pandemic, He's meeting with a group of guys, high school guys, six to eight of these high school guys, where he checks in with them daily in order to find out how God is working in their lives. I just thank God for him, for his heart to pour into others, for the way that he realizes what's important in life. You know, honestly, these lists are boring. But given to show the importance of being intentional in helping others know Jesus so that they can help others know Jesus who can help others know Jesus. We will all have regrets in life. But you will never, ever regret 
in investing in others intentionally so that you might help them grow so that they can give it away. I want to encourage you to be discipled and to be a disciple maker. For you to intentionally sit at the feet of someone who's a little bit further ahead than you are in the journey and learn from them. You won't regret it. And then it take one or two or three others and gather them around and help them, pray for them, encourage them. Not only to grow, but to give it away. You know, as I look at our specific scripture, I do think that some things stuck out to Paul about Timothy. Yes, Timothy was young, which a lot of times is great, but he was a young Jesus follower. He did love the Lord. He was well thought of by other believers. He had a great reputation as a young man. That was pretty cool. He also had genuine faith. We find that out in 2 Timothy chapter 1 when Paul was writing about Timothy. But we just ended a series in James where James talked in his whole letter about how important it is to have genuine faith. It just changes. It changes the way you talk. It changes the way you act. This young man was a follower of Jesus. And then lastly, which really stuck out to me, is that Timothy was not only teachable, but he was uh, accountable or responsive to authority. You know, Paul and Timothy had just met. He had just invited him to join them on these missionary trips. And then Paul talks to him and says, hey, by the way, I'd like you to get circumcised. <laughs> Whoa! I, I thought I was just hanging out with you. And Paul says, you know, the places we go and the things we do, you might really offend some people. They know that your dad's a Greek. I think it'd be best for the ministry that you get circumcised. And Timothy did that. And I, and I look at that because it doesn't make sense. This circumcision doesn't save you. It doesn't help you in a relationship with God. But it was really important for Paul as a leader to have someone who wouldn't be a stumbling block. I'm pretty sure Timothy didn't understand it all. But he listened. I can see why Paul and Timothy were so tight. I think that consistent and intentional are always going to be critical in the disciple-making. Nobody just hangs out with someone and grows and gets a vision. It may be reinforced, but it never works. I want to encourage each one of you to be a Paul and to be a Timothy to somebody. Now let's look at the church at Corinth. It was addressed to this letter to the church at Corinth and to the other saints in a non-Jewish surrounding area. Now, the city of Corinth, it's very interesting. 
Um, it was a Roman colony that was rebuilt by Julius Caesar. It was filled with Roman citizens and Greek nationals and had a really large slave population. It was a large, prosperous, diverse commercial city, second only to Athens at the time. It was filled with sailors and merchants and transients for the most part. It also was the home of the Istham Games. These games were held every two years. Now, you've all heard of the Olympic Games, which were held in Athens, but these games um, not only included athletics, but also included oratory competition and music competition. So it was a big deal. It seemed like a great place to live. But Corinth also had its dark side. It was a religious center for Epaphrodite. Epaphrodite is the goddess, the Greek goddess of beauty and fertility and sexual love, plus many other Greek temples to other gods. It was considered a red light city, one with the reputation of sexual immorality and exploitation, both in the temple as part of the temple prostitution, but also in the neighborhood. Acts 18 tells the story of how Paul went into this city, a city that, wow, I think would be hard to start a church in. But Paul did that because the Holy Spirit sent him to this place. He saw Corinth as a key place to have a church. He met a couple, Aquila and Priscilla, when he first came to Corinth. They were tent makers, and being that Paul was a tent maker as a tradesman, they were part of the trades, they got together, they hung out, and they became ministry partners. At that moment, the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 18, that Paul began teaching that Jesus was the Messiah in the synagogue every Sabbath. Well, that wasn't well received by the Jews. And so the scriptures tell us as a result of that, Paul focused his teaching on the Gentiles in Corinth. It's pretty exciting because what happened was, is that although his heart was, well, his hope was that the Jews would come and receive Jesus as their Messiah. But realistically, God had different plans and a different culture. And God used Paul to be able to proclaim good news to a group of people he literally used to hate. So, what happened is that he was teaching. Let's look at Acts chapter 18, verses 8 to 11, and see how, well, his methods changed. At this time, many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. These were the Gentiles. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. 
for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. Many Greeks responded to this good news, in spite of being in a place where there was so much religion. They not only responded, but they were baptized. Baptism is an outward expression of what happens on the inside. Is that once you come to faith, the next step of progression is to be able to let everybody know that you are a Jesus follower. And that's done at the time of baptism. So this church was born. And he stayed 18 months teaching them. For 18 months, Paul taught the word of God. I don't know if he taught every day. I don't know if he taught multiple times during the day. But I know that he had some partners and that he would teach and they would listen and the church would respond and the church would grow. Imagine starting a church in Corinth. Nobody really knows exactly what Corinth was like, but I do get a picture of maybe Las Vegas. Now, again, I think there are good people in Las Vegas, and I, and I think that Las Vegas needs a church. But I'm just saying that I think it would be a tough place to have a church. So imagine cutting your teeth in Corinth, just like Timothy did, in the midst of this culture that maybe the lights never went out. That is what God has called you to do, is serve these people, love these people, encourage these people. You know, the sad thing is, is that after the 18 months and that Paul moved on and eventually went on his third missionary journey, this church had some significant changes when Paul left. They weren't that stable, shall we say. In fact, some major issues had risen in a rather short time. And we know these issues because we're not studying 1 Corinthians, but these are the issues that Paul addresses to the Corinth church in 1 Corinthians. Let me give you just a quick overview. This church had issues. This church had problems. It was not a perfect church. First of all, Paul talks about division. And most of the division was over favorite teachers. Some liked some teachers over the other other teachers. And what they did is be, they started to follow just their favorites. There was a lack of respect or appreciation for Paul or for leaders. This is always a mark of spiritual immaturity. In this church, there was sexual immorality. It was rampant. And that happens in many churches. But the problem was, is that it was tolerated. There was no church discipline. When I bring up even the word church discipline, some of us cower. Church discipline is not... um, encouraged to punish people. It's encouraged so that people are restored back to fellowship. 
Just a side note. The church also uh, had people in it that were suing other believers. Paul couldn't believe it. In this church, there was a selfish pagan view of marriage. There was a lack of love for the community, and they flaunted their freedoms. There was a prideful arrogance with a focus on their individual rights. This church didn't listen well when Paul talked about spiritual gifts. They were ignorant about spiritual gifts, which led to abuse. They were not listening to the scriptures, obeying them. In fact, even during their public worship, Paul described it as anarchy, especially during the time of the Lord's Supper, a time when you're supposed to reflect and remember and repent if necessary. They were all getting drunk. There was confusion about the resurrection itself and even its importance. So in the midst of this mess, this is the church that Paul started Paul left, and this is the church that began to deteriorate. But Paul loved them. And Paul spoke as a father would speak to his beloved children. He reproved, but he also encouraged. He disciplined, but he also loved them as a father would love a son. He often would come across as a jealous father, just wanting his kids to be able to experience abundant life and to stay pure so that they might have connection with God himself. This church had to take a toll on Paul, but he didn't back away. I guess as I was reading through some of this, preparing for this message, I said, well, I'm kind of glad we're not going to be jumping into 1 Corinthians uh, we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is so different. In 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul reveals his emotions. It's like no other letter. You see when he's depressed and you see when he's elated. Let me remind you again, because we forget, letters back then were critical. And were the means of communication for most people. There was no internet. There was no email. There were no phones. None of, none of that stuff was around. And I know you know that. But remember, written communication can be misunderstood. It isn't perfect. Now, Paul's words were perfect. But if the people receiving these letters were not teachable, they could easily misunderstand what God was trying to teach them. Um, scholars, people who are way smarter than I am, pretty much agree that Paul wrote four letters to the church at Corinth. Now, I know in your Bibles, there's only 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So let me try to give you a timeline of these letters and how they fit into the big scheme. First of all, three of Paul's letters would probably fall in the harsh cart. They were loving, but very firm and to the point. And if the Corinthians were not teachable, they basically went off on Paul. And it happened. 
Letter number one is called the lost letter. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. But this is where Paul begins to confront all of the issues that are um, all the, the arrogance and the sin that this church was focusing on. So he begins this to address this in the lost letter. It was written about 53 AD from Ephesus when Paul was on his third missionary trip. Now, again, history isn't so critical, but you'll see that each one of these letters were written probably about a year apart. So letter number two would be our first Corinthians. All right. And that was written about a year later in 54 AD from Ephesus again. Then letter three was also lost. But this one has the nickname severe letter. So although the first one was harsh, probably this one was really harsh. And we'll get into this a little bit because it's mentioned in the book of Second Corinthians. But this was written in about 55 AD from Ephesus. Well, then eventually Paul left Ephesus, continued his journeys, and he was up in Macedonia. And in the late fall of 55 AD, letter number four went out to the Corinth church. And that would be 2 Corinthians. This church was heavy on Paul's heart. It was. He loved this church. And he wanted them to walk with God so badly. In fact, we know that in, in um, 56, 57 AD, Paul did make a little bit of a detour just to go through Corinth, just to make sure everything was okay with this church. He had written them four letters. He had spent 18 months with them before. He planted this church. And he knew he had to do some correcting to these folks that he loved. But he just wanted to make sure they were okay. How cool is that? I don't know why we don't have four letters. I know this is that God wanted his church to have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We're not going to hit 1st Corinthians. I encourage you to read it. We're going to jump in and focus on 2nd Corinthians. Corinthians. I'd like to wrap up our time in the same way that I started. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth and to all of his holy people throughout Greece. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Paul was chosen for this assignment. Timothy, a brother in Jesus, had joined him. He is writing to a church, really a messed up church, but a church in God's eyes that was holy, that loved God, they just weren't behaving well. Paul wanted to care for them. Paul wanted to encourage them. And he said, it ends up, may God our Father, our Father, and our Master, 
Jesus give you grace and peace for the journey. Next week, we'll continue in chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again just for the way you put all the puzzle pieces together. You know what every church needs. You know what gifts are required. You know what leaders need to be there. You are sovereign. Lord, thank you for sending Paul to a hard church. Thank you that he spent time with Timothy and that Timothy was able to pass on what he learned from Paul, who learned from you. We are grateful, God. Continue to work in us and in our church. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.